All right, Psalm chapter 30. Steve, uh, Steve Smith is a financial planner, and he would tell you, if you were to ask him, what one of the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to their finances is overconfidence. They, they think they can figure the market out. They think they can get caught up, right? We put it off, put it off, put it off. But I, don't worry, I can, I can make more of that in the future, and I can get to where I want to be. We see that all the time. Probably the biggest is in the 08 crisis that happened when everybody just got so over. It just, it's got to keep going, right? It's got to keep getting bigger. We're just going to invest more of our money until it was gone. And overconfidence is a problem that plagues every single one of us. You know how I know that? Because we live in the time of YouTube. So you know what I'm talking about, right? People watch YouTube and they think, oh, I can do that. And they forget the most important thing about doing any task is practice. But they think because I've watched this video 10 times, I now know how to do this. This happened to me recently at our women's conference. I watched these people make charcuterie boards and I thought, and this is easy. I can do this. I don't need to pay $1,000 for somebody to come do this. We can do this. Poor Ronnie and Chuck paid the price as they were coring and slicing apples for hours. Right? We, we, we get overconfident. We, we say, okay, I, I see the steps. I think I can figure this out. And we forget our need for God. This happens in our finances. It happens with skills and hobbies. But it also happens in our everyday life and our relationship with God. And what we're going to look at this morning in Psalm 30 is a picture of David falling into that same trap of overconfidence. But what I want you to notice in this is not so much the overconfidence. We'll deal with that. It's important. But how he responds once he realizes he's fallen into the trap of overconfidence. We're going to break this psalm down and look at it in four sections. First, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5, where David starts with thanksgiving. He starts by being thankful. And then in verses 6 through 7, David confesses the sin of overconfidence. And then in verses 8 through 12, David prays for healing. And then in verse 12b, the end of verse 12 there, David ends with a doxology of thanksgiving. In other words, making this a circular psalm, starting back with thanksgiving, the way he started at the beginning, he ends at the end and keeps it going. So, as been our custom, let's, we'll put the words up on the screen for Psalm 30, and if you would, as a church, read along with me as we read God's word. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. And his favor is for a lifetime. 
Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord. Be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosened my sackcloth and with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. So David starts out this psalm in verse 1 by saying, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Now, it's interesting to me, this, this psalm starts the way several psalms do, with the fact that God is already strong and glorious. He, he doesn't need David to extol him, right? He doesn't need David to remind him of that. The point is that David needed to recognize who he already was. See, this is, this is where we need to start this morning if we have stumbled into the trap of overconfidence. We need to remember that he is God and we are not. But so many times it's easy for us to convince ourselves that we don't need God. We don't need him, but we got this. We've watched the videos. We, we've read enough. We know how to do it. We don't need to rely on him. And we forget what David is reminding us here, that, that, that God is already strong and glorious. And that he wants to defend us. He wants to stand beside us. He wants to be our refuge, our strength. See, David had forgotten that. David had begun to think that he was the refuge, that he was the strength. But he needed to remind himself that God is the one that is strong. He is the one that is the refuge. In verse 2, Oh my Lord, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O oh Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. One theologian in, in commenting on this section said, If we are prosperous, we devour God's blessings without feeling that they are his. Or at least we lazily allow them to slip away. But if anything sorrowful or adverse befalls us, we immediately complain of his severity as if he had never dealt kindly and mercifully with us. In other words, what this theologian was trying to bring to our mind is that our own restlessness and impatience when under affliction makes every minute feel like an eternity. And on the other hand, our ingratitude leads us to imagine that God's favor, however long he may have exercised it toward us, is but for a moment. David corrects that thinking in verse 5. 
He says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Do you believe that's true this morning? Or or like so many others, have you fallen into the other way of thinking is that God's anger is this massive thing that consumes most of my life, and every once in a while I get a sliver of favor. That's our own impatience, our own restlessness at play in our hearts. Our fallen minds, they they struggle to see God's anger as being short in duration. And his favor continued, not only in this life, but into eternity. See, if we are to weigh God's anger and his favor on a scale, we, we would always see his anger is but for a moment, like David says here. And his favor continues throughout this life and the life to come. It far outweighs his anger. And yet we so easily get focused, don't we, on his anger. When we think things aren't going our way, when things aren't happening the way we want them to happen, when things aren't happening as fast as we want them to happen, we, we see it the other way around. We think his anger lasts forever and his favor lasts for a moment. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 put it this way, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for, for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are unseen are eternal. David again repeats in verse 5 this, this figuratively when he says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Weeping will come in the evening, but rejoicing shall come in the morning. He's trying to get us to see how short the time of weeping is. He doesn't literally mean that our affliction will last for one night, right? He's speaking figuratively. This is poetic language here. But that that when the darkness of adversity falls upon us in the evening or or the setting at sunset, the light of dawn would soon arise upon us. And that sunrise will comfort our souls. See, David wants us to understand He wants us to see that we serve a good God. So many people have this picture of God as being this angry God. And don't get me wrong, there there is an anger towards sin. It is there. But more than that, far more than that, is God's favor to his people. This is what David had to remind himself of as he has fallen in this trap of overconfidence and thinking that he can do it, that he doesn't need God anymore. Instead, he's looking now to the one true and living God and seeing him as being all-powerful and all-loving. David then moves as he reminds himself of who God is in verse the first five verses, he then moves to confessing his sin of overconfidence. You hear me talk about confession and repentance all the time. You're like, why do you talk about it so much? Because this is the gospel. This is how to live your Christian life. It's by confession and repentance daily. 
And David here gives us a great example of that. Verse 6, as for me, right? He gets, he gets very specific now. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. In other words, David looked around at the kingdom. He looked around at his new uh, house. He looked around at the, the, the people and he thought, you know what? I've got all these treasures. I've got all these resources. I'll never be moved. What an ugly thought for David to confess. Notice the specificity of his confession. Hey, God, I, I've been overconfident. God, I did some, I, you know, I didn't rely on you enough. No, David gets specific. I said in my prosperity that I shall never be moved. David is acknowledging that he had been justly and deservedly punished for his foolish security. Forgetting for a moment the mortal condition that he has as a man and focusing his heart too much on his prosperity. Now by the term prosperity here in this verse, he means the flourishing state of his kingdom. This, this is financially, this is economically, this is um, as far as relationships with other countries. Like, like he's just flourishing everywhere he looks. And this confidence began to, to creep up on him the same way it creeps up on us Christians as we indulge ourselves in our prosperity, even to this very day. You see, this isn't just a passage for David in David's time. This is also something for us in our time. Because it's so easy for us to just rest in the fact that we got this. If, if you want to know if that's where you're at, Examine your prayer life. Because when you start thinking you've got it, you stop praying. But when you're crying out to God every moment you can, going, God, I can't do this, I need you, then you're in the place that you need to be as a Christian following Him. But so many times we fall into this trap of overconfidence. We don't even pray for our day. We don't pray for our work. We don't pray for our family. We don't pray for church. We don't pray for anything. Why? Because I got this. I know what to do. I've got a checklist for this. I don't need God to help me with this. It's just that easy. It's just that subtle that we fall into the trap of overconfidence. David is teaching us to be on guard when in prosperity. That Satan may not tempt us. The more bountifully God deals with anyone, the more carefully that we ought to watch ourselves against such snares. This is, this is one of the things, just being honest with you guys, that I, I've really struggled with over the last couple of months because God has blessed us tremendously. I, I mean, Brian was just telling me if, 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 if I would have told him two years ago we would have a, a new building as nice as this, that, that I'd be, he would say I was crazy. I was crazy. And I probably would have agreed with him two years ago, but, but God has done an amazing thing. And, and so I'm, I want to be cautious and I want to be careful that I don't fall into that trap of just being overconfident and trusting in myself. Because, again, that, that's a struggle, that's a trap that we all face. 
especially the better we get at something. David had some, something come over his mind that distracted him from where his confidence should really be coming from. He became more lukewarm in his prayer life. And he wasn't depending on the favor of God. In short, he, he put his confidence into fleeting prosperity. You may be sitting here thinking, man, I got everything I could ever want. Yeah, and it can be gone like that. Tomorrow. One phone call from the doctor can totally change your life. Who knows what our economy is going to look like? Who knows what our government's going to look like in four years? It could all be gone. Don't get lulled into thinking that this world provides you the confidence you need. And especially don't get lulled into thinking that you have the ability to provide the confidence you need. This is, this is where so much anxiety and depression comes from, is hitting that wall and realizing, I, I can't do it. But here's the good news. You weren't made to do it. And you serve a God who loves you, whose anger is for a moment, and His favor is for eternity. Verse 7, By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. David now is turning back to prayer. When we, as the people of God, look carefully at the multitude of dangers that surround us and our own human frailty, we should take warning from them and then pour out our hearts to God in prayer the way David is doing here. And he uses this term, my mountain, here metaphorically to signify a solid support or fortress. It goes on, you hid your face. Did you catch what he just said? Look at the first three words of that verse. By your favor, you hid your face. That's important because many of us think God is angry with us when he hides his face from us. But it may just be like David that we have fallen into the trap of overconfidence and the Lord hides his face from you so that you will be reminded of how much you need him in your life. David confesses that after he was deprived of God's gifts, this was the wake-up call he needed. It, 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 whatever had distracted his mind had all of a sudden, it comes back into focus because God pulls back all of these gifts that he had given him. He hid his face from him. God, in his grace, uses this method to open the eyes of his children especially his children who are blinded by the light of prosperity, right? That, that can be a bright light, and it can distract us from the light. And so God sometimes turns out the lights. So you realize just how dim that light of prosperity really is compared to him. And that's God's grace in our lives, people. 
We, we, we should be like David. We should be praising him for doing this. Sadly, for so many, it just embitters us and it makes us mad. And rather than seeing it the way David sees it as God's grace in our life, that he's opening our eyes to seeing we're missing something, we've gotten distracted, we get angry. David is reminding us that we need to open our hearts and pour them out to God. He does that in verses 8 through 12a, when David is praying for healing. This this section of the psalm is, is a lament sung by the psalmist for healing. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. That, that is a short and comprehensive prayer. That, that, that's a prayer you should memorize and use often. To you, O Lord, I cry, and I plead for mercy. He goes on in verse 9, what, what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord. Be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Spurgeon, in commenting on this passage, says, Observe the contrast. God takes away the mourning of his people. What does he give them instead? Quiet and peace? Yeah, but a great deal more than that. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. He makes their hearts dance at the sound of his name. Sackcloth and ashes were something that you would put on when you were grieving. This was a custom of Israelites during this time that whenever they were, they were feeling as though they had lost something, whether that was a loved one or a job or health or whatever, they, they would put on sackcloth and ashes. And, and David's painting a picture here of a God who takes that sackcloth and ashes and, and replaces it with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. You've turned my mourning into dancing. It's, just, it's not just I'm not mourning anymore. That, that, that would be sufficient. That would be awesome of him. But notice what a loving God does. He turns that mourning, not only into not mourning, but into dancing, into celebrating, into praise, into worship of his holy name. And then at the end of verse 12 there, David ends with a doxology of thanksgiving. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. David is returning to where he began in this psalm. He returns back to thanksgiving. 
If you're here this morning and you think, well, maybe I'm struggling with overconfidence, listening to some of the things that, that was said, maybe, maybe that's me, then I want to encourage you to start by thanking God for who He is, remembering who God is. And then keep reminding yourself of who He is. Because as we sit here this morning, we, we sit in a different place than David. David prophetically saw something. He tells us about something that we know and get to experience ourselves. See, Jesus is the reason that we should always be giving thanks. It's, he's the reason we should always be praising why? Because Jesus endured God's anger for a moment when he hung on the cross. He carried our sins, and, and for a short time, the Father turned away his face. He bore that moment of anger so that you and I would not have to endure the wrath of God upon ourselves. You see, we should be a people of thanks and a people of praise because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He bore that moment of anger so that you wouldn't have to. He endured the wrath of God so that you wouldn't have to. See, David could only see that dimly, right? He could only see that in a prophetic small way. We get to experience that. Christ endured God's anger for us. He experienced God's favor again. Verse 5 literally says, For favor is life. God was pleased with Christ's sacrifice for our sins. And his favor meant life for Jesus. Right? God turned mourning into dancing in verse 11. God turned a funeral into a wedding. Jesus' resurrection started with tears on Good Friday but it ended with joy on Easter morning. It's the same for us if we are in Christ this morning. There, there are tears when a believer dies. This afternoon, I have to go and sit with a family whose loved one just passed away. And I'm sure that room will be filled with tears, but at the same time, there is a joy of knowing that after 16 rounds with cancer, he'll never have to fight that battle again. See, there's joy in the morning. We need to look ahead this morning and wait for that sunrise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son to bear that anger, that wrath that was meant for us, God, that we deserve. But because of Jesus, we never have to experience when we put our faith and trust in him. And Lord, may that bring us to praise and worship of you. And Father, this morning, if, if there is someone in this room that, that, that is struggling under the false pretense that, that God is just this angry God all the time, that they would see this morning that, that that anger, that wrath was poured out on his son as a free gift to, 
each and every one of us here this morning. That while that anger and wrath is true, where we sit in this position in history, that anger and wrath has been taken care of on the cross of Jesus Christ. And that if we would put our faith and trust in his finished work, not, not our own good deeds, not our own things that we try to do to, to clean our act up and make ourselves better, but simply placing our faith and trust in what he has done. We too can say that you turned our sackcloth and ashes into dancing with joy. Father, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that this morning would be the morning that they would cry out to you just like David and just confess their sin. Lord, and they would repent and turn away from it through the power of your Holy Spirit indwelling them and living in them, empowering them. And Father, as we come to this time of celebrating the Lord's Supper and what you have done for us, on that cross, God, let it be a celebration this morning. Lord, let us, let us come to the table singing and praising and just worshiping you for how good you are, Father. And as we enter into this season of the incarnation, Lord, and, and we are reminded of you sending your son, Father, that, that each time we hear all of these things that our culture calls Christmas, God, we, we will be reminded and we will praise you and thank you for sending your son to die for us. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name.